If we haven't met, my name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and it's an honor to get to speak uh, this morning and actually get to speak again next week. So um, if nobody comes back, I'll know why. Um, and, but I, I want to tell you about the most shameful moment of my life. Can we start there? Like, how, what better way to get to know each other? Um, if you're a mom, you have, this, you have these things called mom goggles. Have you heard of them? Anybody know? Raise your hand if you know what mom goggles are. No? Okay, this is wonderful. So mom goggles are this wonderful thing that moms have where they, they see everything that their child does as being like the most incredible thing in the world. From the art that they bring home from kindergarten, it's like, oh, I have a Picasso. Well, maybe. To how they compete in sports, to how they do in school and their grades. And, and I, mom goggles are really, really important. So I want to uh, tell you about the one time my mom remembered to put hers on and she came to watch me compete. My mom's here today, so Larry, um, I need you to like, if she throws anything, <laughs> block it. But in high school... In high school, my main thing, like the ambition of my life, was all centered around track and field. And uh, we had come to the end of the season, and there was this really big track meet uh, that was before going to the state meet, which was districts. And uh, long jump just happened to be my like main event. And don't it doesn't make sense, I know, but you'll get there. <laughs> The long jump was my main event, and I was seated, um, actually, uh, the top in the district, I know, it's hard to believe, uh, to go on to state. So I was excited to go to state, and my mom came uh, to my track meet, and she's very supportive, and there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people around. And I'm up, and I get up to jump, and, and you know when you have to do long jump, you can't put your foot, like, even the little bit, bit of your toe over this little line. And I go up for my first jump, and I had this whole crazy routine, and I was like, visualizing. And I come, yep, the sand is still there. You get back and get ready. You see the people do it on TV? That's the only reason I did it. I don't know if it helped. But every time I go, and my mom, you got this, baby! Come on, Eric! My mom, if you know her, and if you go talk with her after church, she's in the back, she's wearing a green shirt. She's not a very loud, vocal person. She's actually really, like, she, like, the extent of love I got was tough love. And it just shaped me to be who I am. But on this day, my mom had her mom goggles on. She wanted greatness for her baby. So I go and I take my first jump, and what happens if you put your toe over? There's a judge, and the judge goes, foul. And it was like one of my best jumps ever. And so I hear my mom, are you kidding me? Again, in my head, this is my mom who's like, she's quiet, she's timid. Like, she actually, she's not fierce. And so I get ready for my second jump. <sighs> Foul. What? <laughs> By this time, people around are starting to look and they're like, what is with this lady over here? It's just a long jump. And so I go for my third jump. And I'm starting to get a little embarrassed. I'm like, oh man, my mom, like... I know she wants what's best for me, I think. But I was really worried about myself and my image because I was in high school. Um, and so I go and I jump, third jump, 
final jump. Bow. And I heard the most colorful language come from my sweet mother. At least this is what's going on in my head. She said that this is not how the story went down. But here's the point of this story. Thanks to her, there, there's something about a mom wearing mom goggles when she goes like, Mama Bear? Like, look out. And this guy was terrified. And it, like, I thought she was making a little bit of a scene, completely disregarding the fact that her only intention was for my better, for me to be great, for me to get what was fair. And so I had the presence of mind with my, like, very fragile eagle on the line in front of hundreds of people at Civic Field to go, Mom, shh. <laughs> Have you ever just, you, you didn't think and then something came out of your face and you're like, what? <laughs> and immediately the crowd and hundreds of people like, <gasps> Yes, like, this gentleman, like, he knew, he went from, like, I'm not in trouble anymore, and he looked at me, starts shaking his head. <laughs> and all of that mama bear rage and aggression that was just being exerted for my good got turned to me. And I saw a look I've only seen once in my life. And I never want to see that look again. That's why my mom's in the back and I can't see her face right now. And she goes, what? She swears that's not what she sounds like. But when she's angry and she started doing the mom cry, if you've ever been responsible for a mom cry, shame on you. Like, but you know like, what it does on the inside. And it cut deep and she stormed off out of that stadium. And I was like, I don't know how to make it right. So that was 16 years ago. And here I am today trying to make it right. Um, she, she let me know that three cute grandkids didn't make it right. But there's just something that happens. And here's the point I'm making about mom goggles. is They actually, whether that was your experience with your mom or not, um, if you had a mom that viewed you through those goggles, um, she probably made you feel really important and special. And, and maybe if you didn't have that experience, what was more likely to happen is then you spent your life wanting to feel important or special. But somewhere along the way, when we are growing up and, and beginning to become who we are, we want to think that we're important or we want to feel important. And then we can sometimes get that misdirected and and that becomes the sole ambition of our life, is to, to have that feeling, to feel that worth and that value, that validation. And, and there's a mom that we're going to look at in Scripture today who, she had some mom goggles on, and she made a pretty crazy request. In Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 21, we see this. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask for a favor. What is your request, Jesus asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one 
on your right and one on your left. One on your right and one on your left. So you might be thinking, what in the world? This is a crazy request. See, and we need to understand that what she was doing actually wasn't that crazy because in their world, they didn't know the end of the story like we do. And, and they were actually believing as Jesus' followers that he was going to establish himself as a physical king, defeating Rome, defeating all their enemies, and he was going to have this worldly power and prominence and there was going to be a seat of honor at his right and his left, and she's asking for her boys to get their due. So she's actually not really in the wrong here. She just wants what's best for her boys, and it's, it's not too much of a stretch to think, yeah, if you're a mom and your boys were following Jesus around and you were hearing the things that they were coming home talking about, you're like, yeah, I want that for my boys. I want them to sit at the right and the left of Jesus. See, and they had, she had ambition, and we all have ambition, and we have this intrinsic thing inside of us. It's the desire to do or achieve something more. There's something inside of us that says, we want to be more, we want to do more. There's more out there. And the, our ambition is, is for greatness, for importance, for purpose, for power. Ambition can be directed towards finding significance or fulfillment. And ambition in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Ambition in and of itself isn't a bad thing. But what we have to do is ask the question, what do we really want? What's really driving the ambitions of our life? Do we want to feel important or do we want to be impactful? The way that we nuance and understand a, a simple sentence like this can make a huge difference in the trajectory of our life. See, if we do things out of a, a place of needing to feel important, we are signing ourselves up for something that we may never get to. In fact, so many people, I think, feel that they can't make an impact unless they are important. They end up missing out the impacts all around them that God has actually invited them to have. See, but it's because of this world we live in, it, it, it distorts things. It distorts things, and it says, like, no, you have to have yourself first. Um, a smart dead guy said this. His name is J. Oswald Sanders. He says, desiring to be great is not a sin, but it's motivation that determines ambition's character. Ambition that centers on the glory of God and, say and. All right, we're getting there. Waking back up. And the welfare of others is a mighty force for good. See, ambition that centers on the glory of God, not the glory of man, and it's for the welfare of other people, not for ourselves. It's actually a mighty force for good, meaning what? It can be incredibly impactful. Most of us want to make an impact. Most of us would say that we desire to leave a legacy in this world. We want to make an impact on those around us, but what gets in the way is we, we stop at needing to feel important first. We stop at feeling like we can't make an impact unless we are important. This morning I asked for a 12-ounce water. It's called a tall. And the lady, um, bless her heart, she's like, you know, you look like you... Uh, need to be a little more hydrated. 
no joke, she said this. She, so she gave me a 30-ounce water and said, you should be hydrated um, and drink three or four of these. And I said, lady, like, I'm nothing but water weight. <laughs> like, come on. Those are the interactions you have with Starbucks baristas at four in the morning. But we have to ask this question. What are we really about? What are we really after? See, Jesus goes on and he explains to these, this mother, he actually turns to the boys because he knows that they were the ones who sent her to ask. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? Oh, yes, they replied, we're able. See, they didn't really think, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying because the bitter cup of suffering that Jesus was referring to was the one that in the chapters prior to this, he had just started telling his disciples, I'm going to die. And and they just didn't really get it. No, I'm going to suffer. I came here to suffer and die. And, And we don't always count the cost. Sometimes ambition can get in the way and, and, and we can not understand what we're actually signing up for. And when we don't actually understand what we're signing up for, we can be quick to say yes to things that we really don't know what we're saying yes to. And then what happens is this. When we say yes to things that we don't really know what we're saying yes to, we end up having like misleading expectations. Our expectations aren't actually the right expectations and we can end up finding ourselves dissatisfied, frustrated, discontent, resentful. Jesus, he he tells them, he says, for you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My Father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. So Jesus is actually being honest with them while also knowing what is his to say and not say. He's telling these young men that, hey, I don't think you really understand what's ahead of you, but I I know and you will drink from this cup, meaning you're going to suffer for my name. And it sounds easy to sign up for and say, yes, I'll do it when your ambition is your importance and you to be elevated. But if you really understand what you're saying yes to, you, you might pause. See, we see that these two brothers, James in the book of Acts, is the first of the disciples to be martyred and killed for his faith. He's killed with a sword. John, we see as the only disciple of the twelve that history tells us wasn't martyred. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. But before that, they tried flogging him, they tried boiling him alive, and he just wouldn't die. So they sent him off to exist the rest of his days in isolation. So they were going to drink this cup, but at the moment that they're making this request, they don't really know what they're signing up for. And what we can learn from that is this short-sighted ambition creates misleading expectations. See, when we have short-sighted ambition, meaning we only see what's immediately in front of us and we're not thinking long-term and we're not thinking about the impact or the consequences on everyone else around us, but we're only thinking about ourselves, 
is actually going to set in motion some expectations that are going to lead us in the wrong direction. They're actually going to lead us further away from Christ and not closer to Him. They're going to lead us to a place of having expectations that align with this world that says, no, you need to elevate yourself to a place of importance. If you want to have influence or impact with anyone around you, you need to elevate yourself. And we also do this with our faith. We do this as we just reflected on the free gift of grace and salvation that came in the person of Jesus Christ. Rich totally hijacked some of my preaching, my sermon today by using that scripture, but Jesus who steps off of his throne into our humanity, he lowers himself. See, instead of waiting for us to try and ascend to greatness, he descends to make us great. Do we understand this? He descends from heaven to make us great. He puts himself on our level. And as we eat a cracker and we drink some juice, we're reminded of the sacrifice that he made in our place. But here's where we can have short-sighted expectations that mislead us. For a lot of people that follow Jesus, the significance of that death and resurrection stops with me. See, it, it stops with, man, I'm so thankful that he did that. I'm so thankful that he got me out of, out of jail free. Now I'm going to live my life the rest of this side of eternity just kind of for me. And, and what happens is then we get hit with some suffering or some hardship or some things that come up. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, Jesus. I didn't sign up for this. You said that you had a plan and a future and a life for me that was going to be better. So why are bad things still happening? You ever found yourself there wrestling with God saying like, Wait, 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 Why? this isn't what I signed up for. You see, Jesus never said that you're signing up for a life that's free from that. And we see it here with these two young men. He say, you don't know what you're asking. But I'm going to be honest with you and say, yeah, you'll drink the cup. Suffering's going to come. Jesus says another time to his disciples that in this world you will have trouble, you will have trials, you will have tribulations, you shouldn't be surprised by them. But he doesn't stop there, he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, what happens is when we have short-sighted ambition, we can become frustrated and discouraged, sometimes even resent, not just other people, but God. God, where were you when this hurt happened? God, why didn't my mom have mom goggles? And then we end up viewing the rest of the world through this lens that has us first. And Jesus says, no, I came so that you could view all of eternity and all people through the grace and the goodness and the love and the glory of me first. Of me first. So Jesus uses this as a teaching point. He goes on, he says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. And he's getting ready to set up this comparison. He's going to uh, show the difference between the kingdom of this world and his kingdom. 
the kingdoms of this world where rulers, the way that they reign is with power and prominence. We see this reflected in the life of King Herod. We talked about him a little bit last week. He's a, um, he's a villain in the Christmas story, um, trying to kill baby Jesus. Um, but we see the way that he reigned was with power. And he asserted his authority oppressively. And we see that he wanted to create prominence and make himself this great stature of a man. And he thought that he could do it by ascending above others. And, and that's where freedom would be found. And in this world we live, we think that freedom is found by ascending to the top, getting above our circumstance, getting above other people. But how many of you know, you know that that is a long climb to nowhere? It leaves you exhausted. See, and where did this all come from? So the language of Lord over is how he asserted power and he flaunts his authority so he found significance and prominence. But what does this mean? Like, it's all coming from this place of fear and insecurity. Why did this king, this ruler, use his authority knowing that people weren't going to second guess or question him and when he heard there was a new king in town, but he was a baby in a barn, he sent his guards to go kill babies because he was scared. He was scared of losing something that he thought kept him free. Something that he thought made him important. See, then we see the difference in this king of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Who says, no, 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 freedom isn't found in ascending above people. It's actually found descending to serve others sacrificially. See, Jesus says that if you want to be great, you've got to become less. If you want to be a leader, you've got to become a servant. But here's what happens with people. We can get so bound up striving for power and prominence. We can get bound up in the bondage of trying to accumulate more power, more things, more status. Trying to appear like we have something together that we really don't. For other people who we are hoping are going to give us something that they really can't give us. Or, as followers of Christ, we can live in the freedom of choosing to simply be humble and helpful. It's this simple. We make it so much harder than it needs to be, but this is the beauty of the gospel. He says, no, 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 I came like, so that you might live, but where you find life is when you lose your life. When you make yourself low, when you follow my example and you stop exhausting yourself trying to ascend to a place that you'll never get to, but if you just come and follow me, you'll find freedom. And here's the thing, it is a choice. Freedom is found in the choosing because you have your own will and your own desires. You get to say yes to what you say yes to and no to what you say no to. You get to determine and decide with what heart and motivation you're going to do things. You get to determine, you get to choose whether or not what you are doing is for yourself or truly for someone else and for the Lord. And freedom is found in serving. 
See, we don't always really qualify. What does it mean when Jesus says he's going to set us free? Where do we find freedom? How do we do that? And Jesus is saying very clearly here, it's found by serving others as you serve me. Follow my example. Dallas Willard says this, serving others in the spirit of Jesus allows us the freedom of a humility that carries no burdens of appearance. Serving is a high road to freedom from bondage to other people. See, that's what we don't always see. When we have short-sighted ambition, we don't always see how much everything we do, everything that drives who we are, is actually keeping us bound up to appearing a certain way for other people. Maybe it's even appearing a certain way for ourselves. Because it goes back to this deep, deep desire that we have to feel important. We need to be valued and validated. And when we stop at salvation in this relationship with Jesus, we end up missing missing how important God says we are. Which is why we stop and we remind ourselves of the sacrifice He made on our behalf. It wasn't so that we could avoid pain. No, no, no. Jesus didn't suffer so that you could avoid pain. He suffered so you could spend eternity enjoying Him. We we don't think in those terms. Like, no, no, no. Like, Jesus suffered and died so that our eternity would not be spent separated from Him but brought back together and restored with him. Jesus now tells his disciples what it's like to follow him. And he says, he's going to flip the kingdom around. He says, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why he came. Jesus came to set you free. You want the simplest definition of the gospel? It's that Jesus came to set you free. How do you live in that freedom? How do you walk out that freedom? Well, it's not about any selfish ambition. It's actually ridding yourself And is doing the work, and this is hard work to do, of sitting down with the Lord and really reflecting honestly, not only at what's in your heart, what's in your mind, but what's in your life. Why do you do what you do? Sometimes as we just sit down, you want to give yourself the best Christmas gift ever? Sit down and wrestle with that question. In every area of my life, why do I do what I do? Why do I interact with people the way I do? If I'm really honest, am I really just trying to get something out of the deal for me. Here's why that becomes a gift, because if you're willing to invite God to do that work in you, He will liberate you and free you from it. He will free you to a place where you just get to love people for who they are, not for what they do. And as you do that, you realize that God loves you for who you are, not what you do. 
Do you see how God in his beautiful design created this to all work together like this? See, but here's what happens. Ambition of man-made kingdoms leaves us striving to elevate self at the sake of other people. But the reality of God's kingdom is that he chose to lower himself for the sake of all people. See, the ambition of the kingdoms of this world promote yourself up the ladder. To promote yourself to a place where you can have some confidence, some control, some security. And we'll do that at the cost of other people. Oftentimes, we even do it at the cost of the people closest to us and we don't even realize that we're doing it. And then for some of us, maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, you know, I serve. I got the serving thing down, Eric. You check my volunteers' hours, like it's 160 hours a week. I only sleep eight. Okay, that's not realistic. 150, sorry. I, and, and maybe you get caught up in, and you could surround your life and your life could be full of doing really good things. You could be busy with all the best things. But the point Jesus is making is he is stop and check your, your motives, check your heart. Because this is how the enemy works is we may not feel fulfilled in the things that we're doing because we're really not doing them for other people. See, if you can't freely give, you're not living free. Think on that. If you can't give to someone or serve someone freely. Meaning you don't need anything in return. Meaning they will not appreciate it. You won't get a thank you. You won't get um, anything reciprocated. No like quid pro quo. To be able to give from the place like that freely means that you're living in a place where you're totally free. That's what freedom in Christ looks like. But also, for some people, and this is a difficult, you've maybe heard language of people-pleasing, codependence. I think it's one of the ways that the enemy takes something that is a good thing, something that God intended for good, and he's going to twist it around, and he's going to actually make it bad by, by convoluting the ambition. So if you actually need to be needed... You're serving yourself and not meeting the right need. So if you're in that place, then this is just not a criticism. This isn't condemnation. This is just a check for your heart when next time you start doing something, next time you start looking around for things to say yes to or other people's problems that you are the one to fix, ask yourself this question, like, is this just me needing to be needed? Because there's this own form of like self-validation that's in there. If you need to be needed, you're actually serving yourself more than the other person and you're probably meeting the wrong need. So as we close, what does it look like? What does it look like to live in this place? What does it look like to serve in God's kingdom? kingdom? 
I thought of all these different things that I wanted to try and come up with and to, and to share with you. And I was like, you know, my words don't matter nearly as much as God's word. Which paints a very clear picture for us in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 18. Write that down. It's not going to be on the screen. And I encourage you to, to this week, like reflect and meditate on this verse. Sit with God with this verse. And take inventory of your life. But this is how the Apostle Paul is helping the church understand what it looks like to serve and to love people in the ways that Jesus does. He says, don't just pretend to love other people. Really love them. Hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with a genuine affection and take delight in outdoing one another in honor. Take delight in honoring other people. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope and be patient in trouble. You want to show the light of Christ and what He's done in your life? Be patient. Be sacrificial. Serve others in times of trouble when you're suffering. Are you just shining the light back on yourself or are you still shining the light of hope to a world around you? When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Wait, this just got real. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That's a different posture. That's a different lens to view this life through. Because the last thing I want to do when somebody is mistreating me or I'm experiencing some injustice or some hurt, like, yeah, I can understand, okay, I'm, I'm, I'll pray for them, but I'm not praying for God to bless them. I God bless them with a truck. That could go two ways. You'll figure it out later. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Man. What if this was our posture of service? What if this was our posture of sacrifice? I invite you to stand as we close in worship. The ushers are going to come forward. We're going to take our tithes and offering. But as we sing this song that talks about building our life and what we're building our life on, it's building our life on, on a love that's different than anything we have in our own strength. It says, and lead me in your love to those around me. Who are the people around you? Who are the people that God has placed around you? Maybe it's family that you are not looking forward to go see in just this week. You know who the people are that are the hardest to love in your life? Maybe God's saying, start there.
like, do their dishes. Buy them an extra gift. I don't know what it is. Like, love the people that are hardest to love. And in doing so, we're going to light the way for people in darkness back to Christ. We pray. God, thank you so much that you came and you brought your light into our darkness because we would have never found our way back to you. And God, now you have invited us not just to get saved, but to be about your business, to be about building your kingdom, which is about shining light for those around us walking and wandering in darkness. And the way that you invite us to do that is by serving. God, I pray that we understand it's more than just getting our hands dirty, but it's actually getting into the the messy lives of other people, God. Just like you stepped into our mess, you invite us to bring your hope, your glory, your grace, your goodness, your love into other people's mess. God, would you give us the courage to do that? God, I pray for the conversations with family that maybe need to be had this week, asking for forgiveness that you would give us the courage to have. God, I pray for people that are hurting so bad and they need to give forgiveness. I pray that you would give them the humility and the grace to extend the forgiveness that you have extended to us. God, I pray that we would look around this community. We would look across the street to our neighbors and we would find ways. We would actively look for opportunities to serve people, not because it's going to bring us anything, but it's going to bring you glory. God, thank you for how you are working through this church. God, I pray that we collectively will continue to serve our community in a way that is going to be a beacon of light and a beacon of hope for people that are lost, wandering in darkness.